If you have never watched an episode of Kosher Money, this is the episode to watch. If you're looking to be financially successful, if you're looking to be successful in spirituality, this is the episode for you. Most people don't realize there's a simple recipe for success. And Rabbi Danielle Gladstein of Cedarhurst, New York, lays it out cleanly and beautifully in this short yet sweet episode. Enjoy. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. We're approaching the Rosh Hashanah, the High Holy Holidays, and what better time to talk about money, right? Sounds almost like a contradiction, right? We're heading towards a spiritual awakening, a time where we're supposed to repent and do tshuva, and yet our entire conversation will primarily be about money. Rabbi Gladstein, it's good to have you. I've listened to quite a few of your classes online on tour anytime. And one of them stood out to me. I was actually in attendance in Toronto when you spoke about business and the importance of being honest in business. Let's take it from the top. What does that mean? Honesty, business? Why, why is that so important to being a good Jew, a good person? What is it about honesty? Okay, so you raise a very important question because, as you mentioned, here we are, we're, we're preparing ourselves for the High Holy Days, for Yom Naram, and at first glance, it seems money is uh, sort of a second fiddle to all the spiritual endeavors that we're working on improving and upgrading, but personally, I don't think there's a more important topic in preparation for the High Holy Days, for Yom Naram, than kosher money, because... Here's a very important principle that probably in our generation, this idea is overlooked more than anything else. You know, one of the most important classic texts, Svarim, that we should really be studying more, well, you mentioned earlier, Mesilas Yesharim, written by the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. This is the handbook of Jewish behavior and thought. He writes a very important line, and we can never really forget this. He says, Chasidus ha'amiti, true righteousness, who rachaik mitzir sechleinu, is far from our imagination. Now, that's very important to focus on these words. Meaning, everyone has their image of what's a tzaddik, you know, what's a righteous person. And in our minds, you know, who's a righteous person? Somebody who maybe he fasts a lot or he stays away from any pleasure or he's in his corner praying or he's studying, or even he's giving a lot of charity. You know, you have, Baruch Hashem, in our generation, you have working people. They're makbid about minion. They have like streaks, you know. They've gone years without missing a minion. They'll pay people to come to the airport so that they don't miss the minion and on the plane. And it's all beautiful. It's all wonderful. But upon further analysis, you know, what really is the hallmark of a righteous person? What makes a righteous person? It's so popularized in our mind, you know, every is a big tzaddik, everyone's a tzaddik today, but, but what is it? What makes a tzaddik? So in all the writing of the Rambam, in, the, in Maimonides, in the Yad HaChazaka, there's only one person he refers to as a tzaddik. You know, who do you think it would be? You know, Moshe, who taught Torah to the Jewish people. Amazingly, the Rambam says, and, and this is also interesting because the Rambam goes through the financial portfolio of, of the patriarchs, the Avais HaKadoshim. So he says, you know, Avraham, the Pasuk says, was very wealthy. 
Avraham Kaved Ma'ir, he, he was quite wealthy. Yitzchak was very wealthy. Yaakov, the Rambam says, Yaakov had Sadik. Yaakov, the righteous one, was very, very wealthy. So now let's pause for a moment because, you know, there are people out there, they want to make more money. So, you know, Avraham was here on the, you know, he's maybe ranked 50 on uh, Forbes uh, list. And, and uh, Yitzchak was also, you know, not yet in the top 10. And Yaakov Avinu, he's, you know, top three. He's very, very wealthy. What did he do? And the Rambam says, because Yaakov said to the conniving thief, Lavan, who was his father-in-law, he said, I worked for you with all my energy. I worked in the cold. I worked in the heat. When I had a cold, when I had a little runny nose, I didn't call the boss, you know, I have 102 fever. I can't come in today. He didn't take paper clips home from the office. He didn't call long distance from the company phone. He didn't take home copying paper from the office. The reason why Yaakov Avinu was very, very wealthy was because he was honest. But that's also why he was righteous. In other words, why was Yaakov righteous? Because uh, we know Yaakov Avinu studied without interruption, without sleep for decades. No, that's not why he's righteous. Is it because he sat and learned for Kailel for decades? And, no, that's not why he was righteous. You know why he was righteous? Because he put in an honest day's work. That's a reality shift over here. I mean, who, who thinks, when you're looking around the shul on, the, on Rosh Hashanah, you're looking at, you know, who's the righteous guy? Yeah, who's the righteous guy? The guy with the talus over his head, you know, and he's davening the long Shemana Esrei. He may or may not be righteous. Righteousness is not as dependent on tefillah as it's dependent on honesty. So that immediately is a, it's a shocker. Mm-hmm. And that's something that in our generation we need to be more attuned to. Because, you know, people want to grow. People want to grow spiritually. And the question is, so where should one's focus be? One of the great tzaddikim, if I may, sure. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Yisrael Salanter is the founder of the, the Musr movement. So the Muslim movement was a focus on the ethical portions of the Torah. It's not a realm that's so popular today. And look, I enjoy personally studying all kinds of different svarim, even svarim about Jewish thought, machshava. In a certain sense, it's easy to think about what's going on in the heavens, what's going on in the upper worlds. What's harder to think about is What's going on in my bank account? What's going on in my wallet? What's going on in my heart? So Rabbi Yisrael focused on the ethical portions of the Torah. And he, you know, this time of the year, kids are going back to school, you know, and uh, many kids are starting learning Gemara, Talmud Bavli, the Talmud for the first time. You know, isn't it surprising, Ellie, remember when when we were in yeshiva, so the first subject, you come into class, you're, you know, wet behind the ears, and you're opening up this big volume, this big tome, Talmud Bavli. Mm-hmm. And you would have expected we should start with the beginning. No, that's not how we do it. We start Baba Metziah, the laws of ownership, property. You know, Rabbi Sol Salanter found out about a group of supposed tzaddikim, supposed righteous people. They wanted to go through shas and they wanted to go in order. So you start with brachos, you know, the tractate about the blessings and then about Shabbos, about uh, the observance of the seventh day, and Erevin. Okay, very complex aspects of the of Talmud Bavli. 
And Rabbi Saul says, it's dead wrong. You can't learn that way. He said, well, why can't you learn that way? He said, okay, blessings on food are very important. Brachas are very important. But they're drabanan, they're rabbinic. Even Shabbos, Ruba Ruba, the vast majority of the laws of the Sabbath are, are rabbinic. Even Erevin, most of it is, is drabanan. So what should we start with? Start with Bav Metziah, laws of partnership, laws of monetary law, law of possession. They're all biblical. Who owns the buck is not rabbinic, it's biblical. That's more important. More important than davening with the minion. I'm a big proponent of davening with the minion. We have to do whatever we can to daven with the minion. It's very important. My grandfather was in the camps. He risked his life to daven with the minion. But there are more important things in Judaism than davening with the minion. People go to great lengths, heaven forbid, to eat, you know, on, on Pesach, Gebrux, you know. You have... Technically speaking, it's, it's kosher for Pesach. Okay, but if a little water got on it, many people have it, they won't go near it. A person should have more fear from keeping a quarter that doesn't belong to them than eating gabrakst on Pesach. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the reality. People should be more careful to pay a worker on time than they are to make sure that they have a minion in the airport. And it's a good thing to, have, to make sure you always have a minion. But it's more important to be careful that the money that you have belongs to you and you don't have a dollar in your account that doesn't belong to you. One of the questions they ask you after someone passes away is not, did you eat Gabrux on Pesach, right? Yeah. It's a, it's one, one of the, the top three questions, yeah. right? Yeah. It's the, it's the first question, you know, are you honest in business? Sometimes we get so used to cultural, we'll call it cultural Yiddishkeit, cultural Judaism. More important is fundamental Judaism. And this is the foundation. Foundation is honesty. Honesty is the foundation of all Judaism. A quick break from this week's episode to tell you that living expenses in Israel have skyrocketed. I just read that Israel is now ranked the country with the highest cost of living among developed nations, and it's only getting worse. The cost of food, bread, milk, cheese are priced 50 to 70% higher than other countries in its category, and they need your help. So please give to Kolel Chabad, a charity that's been around for over 200 years. Tzedakah charity we know is one of the biggest mitzvahs in the world. And we're going to put a link to the show notes, even if it's 10 bucks, even if it's $100, if you can give $2,000, you can also give a recurring donation. So a small amount of money, a large amount of money that can be given automatically over the course of the year. It can do monthly. Really cool option. Give to Kol Chabad. Now more than ever, especially during these high holy holidays, give from the bottom of your hearts. Open your wallets, open your hearts, and give kolchabad.org slash kosher money so they know that we've sent you. Please, every dollar, every shekel, whatever currency you're in, it all counts. And now back to this week's episode. It's a big pet peeve of mine to, or at least something I try to focus on when I get a bill from a vendor, pay it right away, right? Obviously, if there are times where business is tough, it's important to have a conversation. People are people and they could fall on tough times. But I think people do a good job at paying their employees 
on time, right? We know that's a biblical commandment, right. but when it comes to vendors and outsiders, right? And there's net 30 and you, you got to pay it and, the, and the, it's pushed off to 60 and 90 and people now have to borrow money because a select few aren't paying their vendors on time. There's a real agnus nefesh. There's a real frustration and and you're causing real pain to other people. And you're saying that it, that's a critical component to being a good Jew. Critical is is uh, is not an overstatement at all. Honesty is the fabric of the soul. You know, all the mitzvahs we do, all the tshuva we're trying to accomplish, we repent, we're trying to cleanse our soul. But what is the soul? What is the soul made out of? You know, if we could look at the soul under a microscope, mm-hmm. what is it? The soul is truth. It's a piece of the Almighty. The Almighty's signature characteristic is MS, truth. The soul is truth. And if there's a corrosion of truth, there's nothing more harmful to the foundation of the Jew. So this is something we have to have a little bit of a reality shift. We spoke about Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Mm-hmm. You know, like imagine... What did Rabbi Yisrael Salanter do like Erev Yom Kippur? Like, you know, the day before the holiest day of the year. That's a big day. You know, we would think, I don't know, what do tzaddikim do? They probably go to the, you know, the mikvah and they immerse, you know, many, many times and they confess and they pray and... No. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, Erev Yom Kippur, he prayed. He went home right away and he went into the kitchen. What's he doing in the kitchen? He went into the pantry. He took out a hammer. He puts the hammer under his jacket. He heads out to every shul, every synagogue in the neighborhood. And he went to all the benches and he starts to bang in the nails in every bench. What are you doing? He said, well, whoever owns this public area, if they cause one person's suit to tear or one woman's dress to tear and they don't pay back, they're a robber, they're a stealer. And forget about all the maybe minutia that people are thinking about and doing tshuva, and they're all important. More important than that is not causing damage to somebody else. So this is a tremendous reality shift in terms of what our focus needs to be on uh, preparing for Rosh Hashanah. You know, part of our process of, of tshuva is, okay, anyone, do I owe anybody money? Mm-hmm. Did I borrow money from anybody? You know, did I take a haircut and maybe forget to pay the barber? The Chavetz Chaim would say, you go to the barber, you pay him. Think, I am now fulfilling the biblical commandment of paying a worker on time. Mm. You know, there are not that many things we could do a day that are mid-oiraisa, biblical. You know, you, you daven. You have Shema might be doiraisa, talis, tefillin. But in the realm of money, it's all we're dealing with doiraisa. So the, this is a whole world that we can't allow to get, you know, forgotten. If anything, it should be the primacy of, of our attention. And then in general, you know, when it, when it comes to, let's say, spiritual growth, you know, people are preparing themselves for the high holy days. Everybody wants to grow. That's a big buzzword today. You know, am I growing? Am I growing? How do you grow? How do you, how does a person elevate themselves? And this is, for Jewish people and all human beings, what gives us aliyah? What gives us elevation? You know, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, he was the greatest all-time prophet. 
you know, in, in comparison to other Nevi'im, in comparison to other prophets, he prophesied with something called a clear prism, Asbaklarya Hamira. All the other prophets, you know, Yeshaya, Yirmiya, Yecheskel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they, they prophesied, but it wasn't with a clear prism. The first time God spoke to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, he calls out to him, Moshe, Moshe, you know, it's the only time in the whole Tanakh that Hashem addresses a human being saying their name in succession without any pause. Moshe, Moshe, this is big stuff. This is Moshe's first conversation with God and in the history of the world, the most clear divine revelation. So I just wondered, what the man do to deserve that? It's not like, you know, the average person is going to walk down the street. The average yeshiva bachar, you know, he's davening in his yeshiva. He's not receiving like divine instruction. Hashem's not calling them by. What did Moshe do to deserve this level of spiritual uh, connection? Look in the psukim. Look in Rashi. Look, there's a gift from Shemayim. The only thing we find before God addresses Moshe Rabbeinu is he took his sheep and he brought them to graze in the desert where nobody owned the property. Says Rashi, to distance himself from stealing. Oh, God says, that's my man. Moshe, Moshe. That's stunning. That's stunning. Here you have the greatest spiritual elevation ever achieved. So let's identify, what did he do? Did he learn in Kailal for 20 years before God spoke to him? No. Did he pray for, for days on end? Did he fast? Did he go to the mikvah? These are all wonderful things. No, you know what he did? He was cautious not to take money that didn't belong to him. And look what he was catapulted to. I'd love to see a nonprofit built around this idea, not, not necessarily putting down the people that aren't on this caliber, but, but highlighting the, the righteous, the people that are, are, should be known. This Oh, so-and-so, he pays everybody on. He pays early. You know, he, this is his bread and butter. His bread and butter is, you know, 100% satisfaction rate. And, and I, I kind of feel like when you say a reality shift, it, it truly is because we live in America, right? America is the, is the land of the free and capitalism and chasing every dollar and God bless. And we're, and we're so happy to, to live here. But part of that is, you know, don't be Mr. Nice Guy. You want to be successful in business? You can't be a nice guy because right. nice guys finish, finish last, last, right? Yeah. That's what, you know, the Rambam is, is sort of alerting us to, that don't make that mistake. You know, don't think in the back of your head, you know, there's religion and there's business and never the twain shall meet. This is an ingredient in successful business. You know, people intuit, they want to deal with somebody like that. They want to give somebody like that the business. Even to emphasize another account of this, you know, Remember Yaakov Avinu, he's on his way to get married and he goes to Temple Mount and he's, he's lying there on the Temple Mount. He has a dream and there are angels going up and down the ladder in his dream. You know, that's pretty good. Most, most people are not dreaming of angels going up and down the ladder. And then 20 years later, he's on his way back and he sees angels. He encounters angels. Wait a second, this time he's not dreaming. This time he's talking to them like, you know, we talk to each other. So what happened? Obviously, he grew tremendously on a spiritual level that he used to only see the angels in a dream and now he's seeing them in a state of being awake. 
So I remember personally, I heard this from Harava Avigdor Miller, that you know what he did? He wasn't learning for 20 years. He had learned before he saw the angels the first time. He wasn't praying. He was working. And he wasn't taking paper clips. And he wasn't making calls on the boss's bill. Working honestly brings spiritual elevation in a way more than anything else. You know, I think people think, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning. First, I'm going to put in my, uh, I'm going to go to a shul. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to learn that. I'm going to put in my spiritual activities for a day. And then let's say, you know, everything is over. And now I'm going to go make money. I'm going to enter the no, arena, right? And, then, and, and, and be the first, the top of my class and push everyone to the right, side, then, right? Once I'm out of the shul, once I'm finished with my morning spirituality, then uh, everything comes goes. On. Yeah, then we're in the ring. Right. You know? But if anything, you know, that's when the arena of spiritual growth begins. It's easy to be. It's easy to be righteous in the base haknesses. The real elevation comes in the workplace. It's so true, and and it's hard because I think a lot of people that do experience this frustration there's a certain loneliness to it, right? It's not like they're screaming from the top of the roof. It's an email to company, hey, you have an outstanding bill, right? They're not going to go and talk badly about the person. They're, you know, maybe they'll speak with a spouse and, and there's a certain sense of suffering that happens behind closed doors and it's not it's not public. But I think if people did have that realization that it's not just spiritual success, right? You you mentioned Yaakov and his financial success because he did the right thing. And you said this in Toronto that Aliyah elevation is found in your pocket, right? So yeah. it, it's the full 360, right? If you take care of others, you're going to be taken care of and your family will be taken care of. What was the story that you heard, I think it was by a bris. Yeah, that's, shared. it's funny that you uh, bring that up. This goes back maybe 20 years ago. Okay. I was at a bris, and uh, the speeches of the grandparent at the bris is usually not the focal point of a bris. Most people, uh, I don't think, are that focused on that. But I remember this really stood out of my mind. And I had called up this uh, grandfather, even if I had permission to relay the story, and I, I've said it over. He said that um, his father came over after the war. He came, I believe, to Montreal. His father was successful in raising all of his children, you know, on the straight and the narrow to be, you know, good, upstanding Yidin, upstanding citizens. And a lot of his friends weren't so successful in raising their children, didn't have the nachas from their children that, you know, that as parents we hope for. And his father once confided in him that he believes very strongly that the reason he merited to have Erlicha children, honest children, is because he was honest in business. Now, this is not like a glamorous story that you're gonna hear. Usually you'll hear a story, oh, this person, you know, he uh, walked through the snow to say Baruch Hashem HaMavayrach, or to, to, to hear Baruch by Mariv in a blizzard. So that's why he was a Zoycha to have, you know, many generations. This is not a very glamorous story. But it really, it moved me. And I have to say, I wanted to do research about, look, we all know that as parents or anybody who is raising children or hopes to raise children, it's every parent's dream to have uh, God-fearing children, polite children, bali midos toivos, 
Erlicha children, honest children. And, you know, what does it depend on? So people say, yeah, it depends on. You have to feed the kid kosher food, you know. If you feed the kid kosher food, then his, uh, he'll, he'll grow up, he'll develop to be a kosher person. Mm-hmm. And look, I speak about this subject with, with genuine sensitivity because it's a very delicate subject. And who are we to understand the mysteries of Hashem's providence? But one thing that our generation faces is, you know, the phenomenon of children that go off. And, you know, who are we to offer rationale behind it? But we would be remiss if we didn't try to study what our classic sources tell us about this. So and we'll try to spin it in a positive way because if we know what to do positively, we could try to take advantage of that to, to merit good children. The Bnei Yisachar brings, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Ellie, you're, you're a descendant of the Bnei Yisachar. Direct. My Direct. Mo- my mother, father, mother, 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 father. Yeah, it's right there. Wow. It's, a, it's big zuchus to be on your show for, for that and for many reasons. But the Bnei Yisachar writes in a Sefer Igra de Perka, Ois Kuf he says that he heard from his Rebbe, from Menachem Mendel Rimenov, that children go off because they eat non-kosher. And it doesn't mean non-kosher food, he says. It's because they don't use kosher money to purchase the food. And the children are developing and growing up with food purchased with trafe money. So... Again, we share it with, with a lot of sensitivity, but it can't be hidden. They showed this to Rav Aaron Cutler. Mm. Rav Aaron said, of course, the source of this, he says, is, is in a Yushalmi and in a Zohar, meaning this is a tried and proven idea in Judaism that a person's future generations depend on primarily on the honesty of the money that they earn. It takes kosher money to the uh, most literal sense possible. Boom. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, a quick official real estate tip. The question of the week for Shmuel Shiwitz of approved funding. Shmuel, are you ready? Here we go. 60 seconds. Tell me what someone in today's age needs to know when they buy a home. So I would say the first thing somebody should do when they're looking to buy a home is reach out to a financial professional. Figure out somebody like me or somebody similar to what I do. Figure out what you can afford what you would qualify for. They're not one and the same, but you need to do the research. The most important thing, which is timeless, is know what you're getting into, know what you need to know, know what you don't need to know. And if somebody's not willing to give you the time and the patience to work with you on your level, then it's probably not the right person for you. Step one, they call Shmuel. What's next? Depending on their plan, we either help them be in touch with real estate professional, CPA, financial planners, attorneys, and hook them up with the right network sphere that we work with or work with the people that they already work with, which I'm sure we work with most of them, and build this team around them because you need to be surrounded by the right people working all for you with the same goal. Love it. Shmuel Shaiwitz, straight to the point, does not beat around the bush. You can get more of Shmuel, approvedfunding.com slash kosher money. Look them up there. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. And now back to this week's episode. So let me ask you a question. America, like I said, society, it's very focused on effort and work and what we call hishtadlis, and and people should be doing their utmost best to do that. 
do you, do you find that we're doing a bit too much of that, right? We're staying in the office until eleven o'clock, and sometimes it's actually warranted. I'm not. I'm not saying not, but for the most part, if we accept it upon ourselves that nine to five is nine to five, and we put down the hammer and go home and have that realization that whatever's coming to us is coming to us. Do you think we're overly invested in Hishtadlis? You know, we see how common it is for people's lives to be so overwhelming with stress that it's possible that we may lose focus because while we have to do Hishtadlis, you know, we can't just sit back uh, in our chair and expect, you know, through the chimney, the money is going to come in. But sort of the happy median is one has to work as if it's to completely dependent on them and at the same time know that it doesn't make a difference. So when you have that attitude, it releases the stress because you're going to work hard. It's important to work hard. It's important to have good work ethic. But when you know that it doesn't matter, it relieves the excessive tension, excessive stress. So I think the barometer in a person's own life to know, you know, am I working too hard is stress is part of the reality of life. You know, only when you're horizontal is there no stress. When you're six feet under, it's pretty much stress free. Mm -hmm. But when the stress levels are above and beyond, then yeah, the hishtalus is too much. <laughs> in that, you're saying hishtadlis is part of the checklist, but it's not the means to the end, right? Going to work is part of what we're being asked to do, but because you bring a paycheck home has nothing to do with the fact that because you did A and B, now you're going to get C, right? You're being asked to do something, you're doing it, and God will support you in that. Uh, this is a very uh, deep philosophical uh, idea, but in Judaism, we believe whatever Rosh Hashanah is coming up on Rosh Hashanah, God surveys the repertoire of, you know, mitzvahs and averos, and he decrees this year you're making $112,000. You could do nothing. You could jump through hoops. You're getting that money. But there's an obligation to fulfill the concept of hishtadlas. But whether you do or not, whatever you're supposed to get is coming to you. So what that does is it takes the tension out of it. You know, I don't need to run the rat race. I'm getting what I'm supposed to get. You know, should I go back to the office for that extra hour? If you feel like a shmata and you don't have the strength, you're welcome to go back. You're not going to make any more money by doing so. That's, that's the idea. Thinking to my own career, some of the, the more financially successful years were not necessarily the years in which I put in the most work, right? And, you know, once you actually see that and realize, hey, my best month, I actually didn't invest 14 hours a day and I took a, a little bit lighter and lo and behold, a new client came in from there and another one said, hey, they want a new service and it really had nothing to, to do with what I'm doing. I have actually over the last couple of years been benching from a bencher, and I know you have a whole share <laughs> on that, and it's our only biblical commandment, and you know, and I've seen it, right? The slower I go with benching, the the the, the better I do financially. 
one time I, I actually, just to pat myself on the back, I once sat and it took me like 20, 25 minutes to bench. And I said wow. every word out loud. And then like the next month, you know, I, I saw something tangible and, you know, some people will roll their eyes when, when they hear that, but we'll link to that share in the show notes. I also want to talk about our neighbors, our friends, right? Keeping our eyes open for opportunities. It's so easy to get lost in the rat race and, and rightfully so, right? You, you have to support today's economic times, whether we're in a recession or not. You have to be there for your family and support and, oh, okay, I'll give tzedakah. But, but like actually being there for a friend it's not easy, but how important is that for people driving in their cars today to say, hey, what can I do to help a neighbor in need? Similar to what we spoke about before, where there's a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. Okay, this is uh, my, spiritual, my spiritual portion of the day, and now I'm at work, and I'm going to focus on my bottom line and my family, and the more we mix the focus on, well, okay, but this is also a spiritual realm. The more we focus on the spiritual realm during our working hours, there's also a tendency to say, look, I'm a very big Baal Chesed. Sunday morning, I went to that, you know, Tom Cheshavis breakfast. I went to the High Lifeline event, but now I'm working. So don't bother me. Now I'm focused on, you know, my bottom line, my family. In the summer, we did a lot of uh, trips to uh, places of Jewish historic interest. We were in, uh, Spain, Amsterdam, Portugal, and uh, the organizer of the tour of Avir Tours, Avir Rokeach, he has with him this um, tiny Sefer Tyra. It's like, it's like a big mezuzah almost. And it's very difficult for the Tori, the Balkari, to see the letters. It's, you know, you need like a, almost a magnifying glass. You know, the last Parsha of Sefer Bereshis, Parsha's Vayichi, has a very unique phenomenon. Usually between the end of one parasha and the next, you look in the Torah score, look in the Sefer Torah, there's space. Nine letters of space or so. Between Vayigash and there's no space. It's closed. It's sealed shut. You know, what's going on over here? Rashi, you know, the foremost commentator on the Bible, he says, because when we were in Egypt, our eyes and our hearts were sealed shut. This is like a famous teaching, right? Every school kid in the yeshiva knows that we went down to Egypt, our eyes and our hearts were sealed shut. We never really focus on those words. What does that mean, our eyes and our hearts were sealed shut? They brutalized us. They made our life miserable. Why the focus on the eyes and the heart? Then it dawned on me that when the Jews were being tortured and Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses comes out, it says, Vayigdal Moshe, Moshe became great. Vayar Elechav, Vayitze Elechav, he goes out to his brethren he looks at their torment. Here Rashi comments, Nasan Einav He placed his heart and his eyes on his brethren. And it hit me, you know, here's the problem. In Egypt, you know what our problem was? We were so self-centered, and rightfully so, they were brutalizing us, that our eyes and our heart were sealed shut. And you know what happens when your eyes and your heart are sealed shut? I can't see what you need. I can't feel what you need. And if I can't see what you need, and I can't feel what you need, then I'm just looking at my own life. How do you think Hashem, how do you think God is dealing with us? God deals with us quid pro quo, measure for measure. If I'm not looking at you, and I don't care about you, so God says, look, I love you to pieces, but 
this is how I work. This is how I operate. I can't really look at your situation. I can't feel your pain. And then we're in hot water. <laughs> so we need somebody to break the cycle. So the savior of the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu, Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd, he comes, he puts his heart to feel the pain of his brethren. He looks to see, that's the man I'm looking for. You broke the cycle. A few verses later, a few seconds later, God sees the Jewish people. Rashi comments, he looks at us and he begins to feel our pain. So everything we do, not even in the workplace, especially at the workplace. This has universal reverberations. If you're a boss and you, you, know, you see your employee, he hasn't gotten raised in seven years. He's marrying off his kid. Oh, not my problem. It's not your problem. But how's he supposed to marry off his kid? Maybe think, you know, you're doing quite well. Maybe give him an extra buck. Feel what he's going through. Look at him. No, this is business. I'll write out a check later on Sunday morning. Now, the more your business is open to the ideals of honesty and sensitivity, the more God's looking out for the success of your business. Wasn't Yosef HaTzadik extremely wealthy? Did it have to do with that? Okay, that's, that's an amazing point. This, this point is stirring. You know, of all, of all the tribes, of all, you know, there are 12 sons of Yaakov Avinu, Yosef was by far the wealthiest. God said to Yo Yosef uh, at the end of the Torah, Hashem should bless your land. It should be land with produce influenced by the sun and the moon and proliferation of grain. Rashi even comments, nobody had real estate like Yosef. Why? What did he do? What did he do? One of the commentaries points out there's a commonality of wording by the blessing given to Yosef. It says the word ule Yosef and a word that it says by the years of famine. It says the same word ule Yosef. We know by the years of famine, Yosef had it easy because he's the king. He's sitting in the lap of luxury. You know, he's, he could be sitting back sipping his uh, lemonade. No, Yosef says the world is suffering. I'm not going to engage in pleasure at this point. My heart goes out to the people. I empathize with the people. And even though Yosef had every reason in the world to so, you know, close the doors, no, Yosef, he's wearing his heart on his sleeves to feel for the people. God says, I like that. That's my characteristic. My characteristic is, I feel your pain. Remember, Eli, when God first speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, he speaks to him from the burning bush. You know, not from... Uh, create myrtle tree, not from a beautiful tulip garden, from a burning bush. Why a burning bush? Rashi famously comments, God's saying, hey, how you doing, Moshe? Shalom Aleichem. You know who I am? I feel your pain. That was, you know, God's intro to Moshe Rabbeinu. Fast forward to the end of the Torah, when God is blessing Yosef, and Yosef's getting the windfall, the bounty, the Pasuk says, Yosef, you know who you're getting this from? The one who resided in the thorn bush. What does the thorn bush have to do with it? God is saying, you know I am giving this to you, Yosef, because when you were in a position of leadership, you felt the pain of people who are suffering. 
when you're in a position of leadership and you empathize with the people and show sensitivity to the people and try to feel what they're going through, what do we see from the end of the Chumash? God blesses your business. You know, the Chumash is not just uh, rules of, okay, wake up in the morning, do this, don't do that. It's a handbook of successful business operation. Right. You want to be successful? You know, we study Yaakov, we study Moshe, we study Yosef. It's literally, it's a living document. It's telling you how to live, not just in your own four cubits, how to live in the entire world, and not just how to live, how to live happily, how to live successfully. A short break from this week's episode to tell you about my favorite clothing brand, Twillery. If you want to look good, if you want to save money, if you want to wear comfortable clothing that screams professional, Twillery is the one for you. See that? The little T on the side of my shirt, if you're watching on the video. More and more people are signing up. Twillery.com. Use our promo code CHAI. I think you can even go to Twillery.com slash money so they know we sent you. But promo code CHAI, C-H-A-I. It stands for 18. You'll get $18 off your first purchase of 139 and more. They got polo shirts. They got white shirts, especially during the high holy holidays. You can look good and be comfortable, right? Gone are those days of the shirts you have to send to the cleaners and lose a ton of money after wearing it one time. You can machine wash these shirts. Do it. Stop spending money at the cleaners and look good and comfortable, right? No one says that a white shirt has to be that rough material. They have short sleeve white shirts. They have button down white shirts. They have polo shirts that are two buttons. They have colored shirts. Whatever your style is, they have it. They have pants. You can actually buy a suit. I've shared videos of me wearing their suits. They are super comfortable. So don't take my word for it. Take the over 200 people that became first-time customers from these ads, twillery.com slash money. Use the promo code save money. We're actually trying to work on a promo code for repeat users, right? People who have shopped there and want more and more of their clothing. So enjoy the links in the show notes. And now back to this week's episode. There were a few points that came to mind during the course of our conversation. Number one is this idea that when someone owes someone else money, right? They'll still go ahead and give tzedakah, like feel good tzedakah. Oh, I'll donate a safe for Tyra and this. And you might go to sleep at night knowing, oh, I just wrote a check. But like the most critical check, the most critical component of being a good Jew is to make sure that you truly have no debts. There's this term I recently learned. It's called sports washing. And countries that have poor track records when it comes to human rights will hold the olympics in their country because there's a certain there's a certain aura there's a certain glory that wow your country look presenting yourself to the world and it's saying look at all these stadiums look how wealthy and affluent there's business opportunity here and they do that to sort of like detract and take right. focus away from the core element, the human rights. And I've seen that. like people Massaging their conscience. Right, right. And it's very nice. And I'm sure you're getting a mitzvah for, for you know, sponsoring the washroom in your, in your shul and giving a big check to the local mikvah. But, but this idea that... No question. Paying people who you owe money to comes before 
paying money for a, a safer Tyra. Right, right. You know? It, it's, it's critical. What's the best contact info for you? I know you're on tour anytime. If someone has a follow-up question, a point, um, they wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to so get in touch? The best way to reach us is uh, at our email office at rabbidg.com. Okay. And we'll be happy to address their questions. We'll link to your YouTube channel, over 5,000 subscribers and growing. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes. What about books? Um, have you written one book, 40 books? Where are you holding in the, in the book writing <laughs> stage? There's a series of books for Art Scroll on the various Yom Taivim. We have on uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and Sukkis. That's The Mystery and the Majesty. Okay. On Hanukkah, on Purim, on the Haggadah, on the Three Weeks. So that's in English. And there are a number of books uh, in Lashon HaKodesh as well. And uh, a number of Asfarim Be'ezus Hashem in the queue coming up uh, imminently. The, the, the one that's... Most imminent is a book on the Tana, Rabbi Meir Balhanes, which we have in Lashna Kodesh in Hebrew, in uh, in English for Art Scroll, hopefully Hanukkah time, Be'ezus Hashem. Meaning there's more than just the Tzedakah, Rabbi Meir Balhanes, right? Yeah, it's actually on the subject that Rabbi Meir's worldview, that we are always the beloved children of Hashem, and nothing could shake that, nothing could rock that. Where did the whole charity and the whole tzedakah component, how does that tie into his life that, story? That's actually very interesting, and it very much ties into uh, Yom Kippur. This is a money show. Yeah. So let, let's draw the following analogy. So God's running the world. He's, he's pulling the strings. This guy has a lot of money. God decreed he should, uh, he should have money. He should be wealthy. The next guy can't pay the bills. God obviously decreed he should be poor. He comes over to you and says, you know, help me out. I can't pay tuition. I can't buy food for my family. Why don't we say to ourselves, what do you mean you can't pay tuition and can't pay for food? Of course not, because God decreed you shouldn't have money. I'm going to have the audacity to contravene the decree of heaven and give you money. God doesn't want you to have money. And you know who, who used that argument? Tornus Rufus in the Gemara tells Rabbi Kiva, how can you give charity? How can you give tzedakah? So Rabbi Kiva says back, bad analogy. What if a king is upset with his kid and he tells, he makes a decree, the kid has to be in a deprivation and nobody should support him. And imagine a guy sneaks in and gives the kid food. What's the king going to do? He's going to reward him. Why? He made a decree. Yeah, but it's his kid. So Rabbi Kiva says, we're not the servants of Hashem. We're the children of Hashem. So there's actually a fundamental dispute. What is our relationship with Hashem? Are we God's children always? I always say, you know, never make this mistake, Ellie. You know, never take your kids shopping. You want to buy something? Find out what they need. You can take them shopping. Now the kid's he's not behaving. So the kid doesn't behave. Wouldn't it be convenient to say that? Somebody says, who's this kid? I don't know. I'm not sure. Their mother asked me to watch them for the day. You know, I don't know who they are. No, it doesn't work that way. Your kid is your kid. Your biological kid is your kid. Nothing you could do about that. But in the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda holds, our relationship with Hashem is dependent. If we're doing what God wants, we're His children. If we're not doing what God wants, we're not His children. We're His servants. And accordingly, you can't give charity. Rabbi Meir holds, we're always the beloved children of Hashem. So you could only give charity in the worldview of Rabbi Meir. That's the connection between Rabbi Meir and charity. And the book basically is a springboard of this concept of what does it mean we're the children of Hashem? Obviously, God is not physical, and 
we can't be God's biological children. That's foreign to Judaism. So what does it mean we're the children of Hashem? What are the ramifications of that? Who do we rule like? Rabbi Meir or Rabbi Huda? The whole book is on this subject. <laughs> and to find the, the catalog of books, is this Amazon? Is this on your website? The books are on our site, rabbidg.com. Artscroll has a list of all the English books. And on the site, there's a list of all the books in Lashon HaKodesh and all the books on in English as well. Wonderful. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes. Rabbi Gladstein, thank you so much. Uh, a lot more to cover, but I think we covered some critical components to what a good Jew is. And I hope we make some sort of influence on people and they actually take to heart what kosher money really is. Thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kosher Money. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure to like the episode. Subscribe if you have not subscribed. Leave a comment. I know my brother puts a fancy word in his outro and he tells people to leave it. So we're going to do the same. So this week, I'm just trying to think of what word we can use so that I know you listen through the outro and not everyone listens to the outro but you do and i appreciate that so let's go with appreciation let's write the word appreciate appreciation appreciate it something to do with the word appreciate you can even write a long sentence and put the word appreciate in there appreciate this something that actually makes sense but the word of the week is appreciate and i appreciate you and i appreciate our sponsors we have twillery we have approved funding we have Kol Chabad. The three of them make up the trio of sponsors. And we thank our friends over at Living Smarter Jewish. More and more people are reaching out to Living Smarter Jewish. Do not tackle your finances alone. They have free resources. They have free financial coaching. Reach out to them. Info at livingsmarterjewish.org. I'll be upset if you don't click on the link in the show notes, livingsmarterjewish.org. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your future family to get things right today because the effects that changes you make today can have massive effects in the future. More and more of our episodes are being covered by Mishpacha Magazine. So pick up a fresh magazine, Mishpacha Magazine. Visit mishpacha.com. They have bonus video on many of our episodes and articles with follow-up questions so you can get more of the kosher money world. Thank you to my brother, Yaakov, of the Living L'Chaim Network. He's got more and more shows, working on great stuff. We're doing events. If you want to know about our next event, visit koshermoney.org. And you can subscribe to our Eventbrite page and you'll be notified when we drop our next event. That's it for me. I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. Um, I only hear a little bit of the feedback. And Rabbi Gladstein told me that for every one person that reaches out, there are 99 other people that have been helped as a result of the work that we all do. And that really inspires me to continue creating more and more content. If you have a suggestion, visit livinglachaim.com. Click on the suggestion tab. If you want to sponsor an episode, Kosher Money's kind of maxed out on sponsorships, but we got a whole other array of shows. You can reach out to Yaakov there and he'll help you find the right fit for you. And that's it for me. So until next week, or whenever we meet next, keep your money kosher. Bye-bye. Living Lachaim.